Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Mike Maniscalco on all things hockey. Emergency backup goaltending superstar David Ayers will be with us on tomorrow's program. He's been everywhere today, and he was great between the pipes on Saturday night as the Canes protected a 6-3 win over the Maple Leafs. Rod Brindamore said it well, the Canes head coach. David Ayers gave him a memory that he'll never forget. It's nothing run-of-the-mill about the one in not quite a million maybe, but a long shot chance. Every night at every NHL game, there is a $500 emergency backup goalie. And often, in fact, most of the time, you make it through an entire season. So there are, you know, 82 games or 80 plus games plus the playoffs. And there's an emergency goalie available at every one of them. And you go through an entire season and not one of them got their skates on the ice during regulation. And it happened for David Ayers as he helped the Hurricanes, not his hometown Maple Leafs, and even got a nice ovation from the crowd, which recognized the rarity. 42-year-old Zamboni driver turned successful winning NHL goalie. He will si sound the siren at PNC tomorrow night as the Canes host the Dallas Stars. Reed in Raleigh has a good point on this as we welcome your calls, best and worst of the weekend. LeBron James, Jason Tatum, the Milwaukee Bucks, the L.A. Lakers, and others from the NBA. Patrick Reed from the golf world. If you're a golf fan, do you consider Patrick Reed a cheater, or is that too strong a word? He won a PGA event this weekend in the aftermath of world number two Brooks Kepka, a fellow American, and recently retired CBS golf analyst Peter Costas, both calling out Patrick Reed. Remember, that's Captain America. That's the Ryder Cup superhero. That's a fellow American. They both called him a cheater relating to an event or an incident in the Bahamas, among other things. You can chime in on that today if you like. NASCAR fans, Joey Logano got the win this weekend, 2018 Cup Series champion. Did you know that Ryan Newman, the guy who only recently got out of the hospital, after that fiery Daytona 500 crash where some people thought he was dead. Cute picture of him walking out of the hospital barefoot holding his two little girls' hands. Did you know that Ryan Newman finally spoke by phone with Ryan Blaney, Blaney being the driver whose car nudged Newman enough to send him spinning, send him flying, and eventually send him into that fireball and into the ambulance that took him to the hospital. Interesting NASCAR and golf stories as we talk college basketball, a little NFL, some NBA. Tyson Fury claims another heavyweight championship boxing belt. You can chime in on the NHL trade deadline, where, of, of course, the Canes win at Toronto and David Ayer's emergency backup goalie role in that. Let's get Reed on because he has a good point. In my lifetime as a hockey fan, which dates more than 40 years, I can only think of one other example of what is technically a backup, an emergency backup, because a lot of Canes fans are reminding us of a guest on our own show. George Alves technically was not the third-string goalie when he played, remember, at the end of that game for the Canes back when Bill Peters was the coach. Eddie Lack was the Canes' backup. Eddie Lack was sick. He wasn't sick enough that, like, you know, they needed to bring up somebody from the minors. So they asked George Alves, who's like a practice goalie in addition to being the team's equipment manager, hey, man, 
can we sign you to an NHL contract after a tryout just so you're eligible for the Canes if Eddie Lack can't go? So George Alves, remember, only played like, what was it, 10 seconds at the end of that game? But he technically became a, a pro player. But that night, he was the backup goalie for the Canes. So George Alves, I mean, I don't want to take the guy's moment away from him. It was a cool moment. But it was not a meaningful moment because the game had been over. And Bill Peters just threw him out there for the final seconds so that George Alves could say, I played in an NHL game. He was not, by NHL rule, the emergency goalie that night. He was the backup goalie that night to, in that case, that still would have been Cam Ward, if I remember correctly. So it's Cam Ward plays 59 minutes and whatever, and then George Alves plays the last seven or eight seconds. Reed and Raleigh has the only other example in my memory of an actual emergency goalie. So think of the thousands of games that are played every year, and that means 99.999% of the time, and I didn't do the math, but it's in that neighborhood. The guy who shows up as the backup goalie, again, you're available for either team in the case, the rare case of both of your goalies getting injured in the same game. Well, that happened with James Reimer, lower body injury. He's not going to play tomorrow night against Dallas. It happened with Peter Morazic, his replacement. Concussion protocol will not play against Dallas. So that's why the Canes called up both Anton Forsberg, a veteran that they got from the Blackhawks, and... Alex Nedeljkovic, their younger prospect goalie. Those are the two guys that are expected to be on the bench tomorrow night. But Reed and Raleigh does have an example, the only other one I can think of, that is somewhat similar to David Ayers. Reed, welcome to the program. Program, Go right ahead. Hey, thanks, David. Sure. Um, the reason I remember it is because I married into a Blackhawks family, but a couple years ago in 2018, the Blackhawks goalie had a pregame injury, uh, which – so they called their emergency goalie uh, before the game, and then their backup goalie during the game got injured, uh, much like the Hurricanes last night or the other night. And then uh, so this guy came in. He was like a 36-year-old accountant. Right. Uh, Living in the Chicago, Chicago area, just being an accountant, yeah. right, and had had a mild background in hockey. And if I remember, he also got the win. His name was Scott Foster. It was two years ago. And I think he made a handful of saves and got the win for the Blackhawks. Yes, sir. That was him. And and I think uh, in Ayers' case, remember, being from the Toronto area, he helped the opposing team win. He helped the visiting Hurricanes win. In Scott Foster's case, it's at least a little bit closer to your true dream, right? You get to help the hometown Blackhawks win, and then you go back to your accounting job the next day in the Chicago area. Every game has somebody on call. And it's just amazing. Those are the only two examples I'm aware of. Reed, thanks for your uh, recollection there because uh, Scott Foster of the Blackhawks from two years ago, and now David Ayers is making the rounds on all the shows. He'll be with us tomorrow as well. Zach is in Raleigh and has football on his mind, others college basketball. Quickly, from my perspective, perspective on college hoops, what happened with Duke and State this week, excuse me, Carolina and State this weekend, to me, those are chalked up as more, you lost to a team that's simply better than you are. Florida State has more talent than NC State right now. Florida State has more length and athleticism than NC State right now. Florida State has more players just overall, some of them NBA prospects. And the Wolfpack, while a good team and a right side of the bubble team, thanks to that win over Duke, the Wolfpack doesn't have as much of those things. So when it's 67-61, Florida State and NC State, 
I didn't see that as a worst of the weekend because NC State's missteps have happened in the games where you're supposed to win, where you're the better team, and you just lot you just let it get away against Carolina at home. You let it get away at a Boston College team that is near the basement of the ACC as well. You let it get away at a Georgia Tech team that's not even eligible for the postseason. Not a horrible team, the Yellow Jackets, but one of those that you shouldn't let get away when you're anywhere near the bubble. Losing to Louisville, in Carolina's case, is not what has sent the Tar Heel season in its tailspin. Louisville has more experience, more depth, more players, more talent, more everything. If you're Roy Williams in UNC and you lose to Louisville, doesn't mean you don't try hard. Doesn't mean you're not trying to spring an upset. You understand why you lost. The Tar Heel season has spiraled for a lot of different reasons. Least gifted among them. Also injuries, of course, more man games lost than Roy has ever had as a head coach. But Carolina's season has gotten away a lot more because you lose at home to Wofford. A lot more because you have Clemson down 10 by 10 with two minutes to go and you lose to the Tigers in Chapel Hill for the first time in the history of your program. A lot more because you have Virginia Tech beaten in Blacksburg and then the Hokies come back and beat you in double overtime. It's once If you lose at Louisville and you're Carolina, guess what? That is not the one to circle about what went wrong. If you're NC State and you lose at home to Florida State, that could be a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. I watched that whole game. The Wolfpack put up a great fight. In the end, the Seminoles simply had more weapons than the Wolfpack did. The Seminoles have an intense defense, including on the perimeter, and they essentially slowed down or shut down the senior guards, Markel Johnson and C.J. Bryce. And meanwhile, it was a little Devin Vassell for the Seminoles. It was a little Patrick Williams, the freshman, who's actually a North Carolina native for the Seminoles coming off the bench. A little bit of MJ Walker. They just have more weapons, more dudes, more experience overall, and really more experience in these kinds of games. The Wolfpack and the Tar Heels, of, of course, are in two entirely different situations right now. But the Wolfpack's jeopardy is not because of losing to high-powered opponents. It's because those lesser opponents somehow figured a way to beat them. Keep that in mind as State goes to Carolina tomorrow night, remember? And as State, yes, they have one more game against Duke. That one is in Durham. After they beat the Devils by 22, I would imagine Duke will put up quite a fight in front of the Cameron Crazies when it comes to that point. NC State got the signature victory it needed by beating Duke. But now... You have the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill. You're better than they are. You have the Pitt Panthers at PNC. You're better than they are. You have Wake Forest at PNC. You're better than they are. Of course you would have loved to have beaten Florida State. And of course you'd love to beat Duke again in Durham. Good luck with that, though. I think we're all realistic there. Beat the Heels, beat the Panthers, beat the Deeks, and show up in Greensboro, and you are going to stay on the right side of the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee bubble. Lose the way you let those games get away against BC and UNC and others, and that's what puts you back into hot water. Carolina's season is a true debacle and has to be discussed in different terms. At 10 and 17, the only thing the Tar Heels can really play for is pride and then trying to be a better version of themselves come Greensboro where they still believe that they can make a little run there. You have one of your rivals tomorrow night at the Smith Center. You have your, your bigger rival in Durham on March 7th. Pride 
comes into play in such games. Roy Williams will remind everybody of that. But for the Tar Heels, it's about Greensboro. For the Wolfpack, it's about the NCAA bubble. Both lost this weekend, but again, those losses were not what has defined their season so far. 1-800-849-2761. Let me get to your best and worst of the weekend phone calls on the other side. We also have folks who want in on the Kobe Bryant Memorial Service that is ongoing as we speak. The 40th anniversary of Miracle on Ice. That date was actually Saturday, and most of Team USA from 1980 was honored in Las Vegas this weekend, including at a Golden Knights hockey game where all those guys were out for the ceremonial, ceremonial dropping of the puck to get things going in Vegas. On the same weekend in Vegas, the Tyson Fury took out Deontay Wilder late, late, late Saturday night. A big weekend for boxing fans. LeBron over Jason Tatum and the Celtics was a phenomenal game in the NBA. Patrick Reed gets a win on the PGA Tour as some high-profile names are calling him a cheater. Houston Astros style, and Joey Logano wins on the NASCAR circuit. Why was Archie Miller, former Wolfpack sharpshooter, a best of the weekend nominee? I will let you know as we go to Zach and Matt and you, 1-800-849-2761, next on the David Glenn Show. The head devil, David Cutcliffe. You guys have a unique ability to, to just do it right. You know, all the fans are always going to defend their programs, and they should. Sometimes we all make somebody at another program mad or angry, but you guys are very fair to everybody. The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We do have lines open for the first time in a long time as we play best and worst of the weekend. Zach has an example from the football world. At the NFL level, players are considering a proposal from the owners that would both increase their percentage take of the revenue but would also expand the regular season from the current 16 games to 17 more wear and tear would expand the playoffs which the players are more okay with in large numbers from the current 12 teams to 14 teams they may vote the players as early as this Wednesday. The owners have already approved it. Meanwhile, the XFL is in week three. If you haven't been following the TV ratings, they got that three million plus for one of their openers. That's a really good number in TV land. Nothing like the NFL, of course, but you compare it to a regular season game in the NBA or the NHL or Major League Baseball, three million plus is really good. It only dropped to two million plus in week two. So it wasn't simply a novelty act. And then week three has come and gone. Stadiums have a lot of people in them in the XFL reboot of Vince McMahon. And the TV ratings are hanging in there as well. I don't think we already have this week's ratings, but Zach and Raleigh wants to chime in on some football. Meanwhile, golf fans, do you consider Patrick Reed a cheater? Or is that too strong a word? He won another PGA event this weekend beating a pretty good field to do it at the World Golf Championship in Mexico. Won a $1.8 million winner's check, but he's been called out by, among others, fellow American Brooks Kepka and former recently retired CBS golf analyst Peter Costas for both his sandcastles incident in the Bahamas and some other wrongdoing over the years. That's Captain America catching some javelins from some fellow Americans. Zach, welcome to Best and Worst of the Weekend. Go right ahead. Hey, DG, thanks for taking my call, man. Sure. Um, I sat down and watched my first XFL game. I'd heard a lot of uh, you know, conversation about the new rules and 
and the production quality, which, you know, it's, it's awesome being able to get inside the booth and hear what these replay guys are saying and see the different uh, betting lines and all that. But um, I'm a lifelong St. Louis Cardinals fan, and I know that people in that city love their sports team. True. And just to see all the people in that stadium where they sold out, I saw that they, they had like 30,000 people in attendance, sold out. And I just think that the frustration that came with losing the Rams to L.A. coupled with, you know, the past few seasons and, and the excitement for something new in that city, it was really great to see. And I think that's probably my vote for best of the week. And wasn't it interesting, that. Zach? One of my best friends happens to be from St. Louis, a guy named Jim Houghton, and I, I would visit him out there. And that is a Cardinals baseball town to the core, man. They love their St. Louis Cardinals. Wasn't it interesting that when Vince McMahon did his reboot of the XFL, seven of the eight cities selected were current NFL cities. The only one that does not have an NFL team, so they're basically piggybacking on you know the, the backs of NFL communities. St. Louis was the one exception to that. And it's, of course, also historically an NFL city, but no longer. So it's interesting that they are rallying around it. As I've said all along, if the XFL can continue to spark interest in those eight communities and the early returns are really good by that definition, stadiums are fuller than you might think. They're not getting 60,000, but some of these venues are set up to hold, you know, 20 to 30,000 instead. You can have, you know, ask the MLS if you can have a functional business model by consistently putting 20 to 30,000 people in the seats and even getting modest TV ratings. The XFL's business model is not exactly similar, but there are more fannies in the seats than most would guess. There's plenty of attention from the media and fans in those eight cities. I do think you need more of the rest of the country to care for it to be a longer-term success. You know, do people in North Carolina, Zach's from St. Louis, so he had his reason to care about the St. Louis Battlehawks of the end of the XFL. Were the, will there be enough fans in the 42 states or whatever that don't have an XFL franchise? And I don't mean fans like you go. I mean fans that care to watch. If you can hang in there in seven figures, and remember McMahon's play on this is I'm not charging rights fees to my TV partners in year one, but I want to be on the most prominent channels. Well, when the XFL, or excuse me, when the AAF, the one that recently folded, as all of the other experimental leagues have folded over the years, going back to the USFL and the World League and others, when you got a few weeks into the AAF season, the Alliance of American Football that the Canes owner Tom Dundon purchased and then pulled the plug on not too much later than that, when you got in a few weeks, some of the games were only on the NFL network, which is great in terms of a partnership with the NFL, but does not have as many subscribers. As, you know, ABC can be viewed by 80-plus million American TV households. Now, all you need is a fraction of that. You need a million, sometimes two million, sometimes three million. Can they get that beyond the eight markets where they have teams? I don't know the answer to that yet. But the fact that you're on Fox proper, ABC proper, FS1, ESPN, and some games are on you know FS2 or whatever, ESPN2. But I think it was a smart play by Vince McMahon. He's certainly successful in other contexts, wrestling and otherwise. 
So far, so good on the XFL TV ratings. And again, the smaller stadiums have been filled pretty nicely as well. 1-800-849-2761. Let me give you one thing I promised, and then we'll come back to your best and worst of the weekend phone calls. Why is former NC State sharpshooter Archie Miller on our best of the weekend? Well, you all know how it goes if you get a job at a Blue Blood program. Matt Doherty didn't win enough for three years at Carolina, and he was shown the door. You might get more patience. Heck, at Carolina in sports outside of men's basketball, there have been coaches who have struggled for longer periods and still kept their jobs. In the signature sport at any school, you're going to have a shorter leash. Well, Archie Miller, former NC State sharpshooter, is the head coach of the Indiana Hoosiers. You may have heard of them, right? When Bob Knight was their head coach, they won multiple NCAA titles. When I was as a young journalist writing articles about the premier college basketball programs in the country, it was sort of the leftovers from the John Wooden era at UCLA. Louisville was actually pretty good under a guy named Denny Crum back then. Carolina, of course, under Dean Smith back then. Coach K was starting to ramp things up at Duke. Kansas was good. And Indiana was one of the other names on the shortest of short lists of brand-name college basketball programs. So Archie Miller, remember, a guy who, after playing at State, quickly got into coaching. His brother, Sean, of course, the head coach at Arizona. His dad, a famous high school coach in Pennsylvania. So Archie starts shooting up the ladder. He took the Dayton Flyers to four straight NCAA tournaments, which made him one of the hot names on the market, kind of like Wes Miller at UNC Greensboro is right now except Dayton is at an even higher level than UNCG is in the Southern Conference. So you take the Flyers to four straight NCAA tournaments, you start getting inquiries and job offers from higher-profile programs in bigger, better leagues. And sure enough, Indiana took a chance on Archie Miller two and a half years ago. If you don't remember what Archie did in his first year, he did not make the NCAA tournament. Year one, even at a Blue Blood program, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Year one. Year two, you better show some progress. He showed a little progress, but still no NCAA tournament. At a place like Indiana, they're restless if you go to your first two years without a trip to the big dance. There are enough, especially the richer people tend to be older people. And what do they remember? Going to the big dance every single year when Bob Knight was their head coach. And they don't want to lose that luster even after they've been through other coaches since the general. Well, Archie Miller is in year three. And Archie Miller going into the weekend, if NC State was like last four in, Archie Miller would have been first four or next four out. And again, you don't want to go three straight years as the new head coach of the Indiana Hoosiers without a single NCAA tournament bid to show for it. The Hoosiers hosted Penn State, which might not sound like a big deal, but in basketball this year, the Nittany Lions actually carried a number nine national ranking into that game. So just as NC State hosted Florida State, put up a good fight, but couldn't quite get that second back-to-back top 10 victory, Archie Miller in Indiana had a signature victory opportunity against, I know it sounds weird, but top 10 Penn State, and the Hoosiers got it done, 68-60. to 60. Like the Wolfpack, you can't stop winning now and expect to get a bid. you got to take care of business. I think if the Wolfpack, even if they don't beat Duke at Duke, I think if they just beat the teams they're supposed to beat and then do something in Greensboro, I think the Wolfpack's going to make their second NCAA tournament in three years under Kevin Keats. 
if the Wolfpack were to miss this year, there would be some noise around Kevin Keats, not internally, but from Wolfpack fans who were screaming and calling our show complaining after they lost at home to the Tar Heels or they lost at Boston College. That's a proud two national championship program, and men's basketball matters a lot to Wolfpack Nation, as it should. Making two out of three sounds a lot different, is a lot different than missing two out of three if you're Kevin Keats. It is an even more urgent situation if you're Archie Miller in year three and you're 0 for 2 when it comes to the big dance. The win over Penn State was a best of the weekend to me. The Hoosiers jumped from the wrong side of the bubble to the right side of the bubble, kind of like the Wolfpack did when they beat the Duke Blue Devils. Got to keep working. Work still to be done. But Archie Miller may use that signature victory to catapult him to his first NCAA tournament as the head coach at Indiana, and that is a really, really big deal. Kansas over Baylor, BYU giving Gonzaga its second loss of the season, and UNLV going to San Diego State and giving the Aztecs their first loss of the season among the national highlights closer to home, Louisville over Carolina, Florida State over NC State in Raleigh, and then Duke got back on the winning track after that debacle in Raleigh, 88-64. They have been setting records at Duke with what is it now, five victories in conference play of 30 or more points. This one over the Hokies, not quite that big a margin, but not far, 88-64. to 64. Down low, Big Vern was good as usual, Vernon Carey Jr. Out front, Trey Jones was good as usual, and it was really important, I thought. The Blue Devils saw a bounce-back game from Cassius Stanley. He had 21 points and seven rebounds in that win over the Hokies. He had not looked good in that loss to NC State. So one more freshman who has been great at other times earlier this year, looking more like the guy he needs to be for the Devils to get where they want to go. Again, tomorrow night, it's Big Four action with State visiting Carolina and Duke visiting Wake Forest. Tonight, it is two of the top three in the ACC. Louisville and Florida State are both tied with Duke in the loss column. Somebody's got to win that number one overall seed. Somebody's got to get that uh, regular season championship, as many call it. Louisville at Florida State will be a step in the right direction for one of those two teams as Duke has a much more manageable matchup tomorrow night at Wake Forest. It's Cardinals at Seminoles in Tallahassee tonight on ESPN. Remember that FSU went to Louisville and beat the Cardinals pretty solidly a little bit earlier this year. Back to your best and worst of the weekend phone calls on the other side. What was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe and what made it that? As the emergency backup goaltender David Ayers is understandably getting a lot of love this weekend for his role in the Canes 6-3 win at Toronto. Just history being made right before our eyes. There was a downside to that game, folks. I mean, Brett Pesci went out with a serious-looking shoulder injury. Both goalies got hurt, necessitating emergency backup David Ayers, a Toronto guy, putting on the Canes uniform and helping to beat the Maple Leafs. It is trade deadline day in the NHL. The Canes have made a move that I think most Caniacs will celebrate, although it does require saying goodbye to Eric Halla and Lucas Hallmark. Those two guys and a couple of prospects are on their way to the Florida Panthers in exchange for 26-year-old centerman Vincent Trocek. More on the Canes, good and bad, with more of your phone calls, 1-800-849-2761. Tyson Fury 
of the boxing world, Patrick Reed from the golf world, Joey Logano from the NASCAR world, a lot of basketball, college and pro. You can be next with your best or worst of the weekend. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket in to the David Glenn Show. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances. And I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We have Tyson Fury in his own words after beating Deontay Wilder Saturday night in Vegas. We have David Ayers in his own words. Toronto's own helped the visiting Carolina Hurricanes beat the home team Maple Leafs on Saturday night. He's coming to Raleigh. Tomorrow's going to be David Ayers Day, as declared by Mayor Mary Ann Baldwin in Raleigh. He's also going to be the siren sounder tomorrow night when the Canes host Dallas. More of David Ayers in his own words. Kevin Keats from the Wolfpack after the loss to Florida State. And I promised Brooks Kepka, one of the best golfers in the world, who commented on Patrick Reed, essentially calling him a Houston Astros-style cheater in one of those call-outs you do not see very often on the gentlemanly PGA Tour. Captain America Patrick Reed is back in the headlines as a best of the weekend as we welcome your calls Mike Maniscalco on more Canes and NHL trade deadline and the David Ayers emergency backup goaltender extravaganza story that's live in about 25 minutes again David Ayers himself will join us as part of tomorrow's show the Canes have acquired 26 year old centerman Vincent Trocek from the Florida Panthers in exchange for a package of two current players Eric Halla and Lucas Walmark and a couple of prospects as well there was a downside to that win Saturday Brett Pesci has a long-term shoulder issue further depleting the Canes defensive core as they are in playoff position but not comfortably so meanwhile James Reimer lower body Peter Mrazek concussion protocol they're both out at least for a while the two Charlotte checkers call-ups Anton Forsberg and Alex Nedeljkovic are expected to be the two guys on the Canes bench tomorrow. Remember, David Ayers will be in the house, but just to sound the siren and to maybe sell some number 90 jerseys and to raise some money for really good causes, 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Darren, dig out the Brooks Kepka uh, audio for me because Patrick Reed won an event called the World Golf Championship, this one in Mexico. This is a guy who, remember, won the Masters in 2018. He has a checkered past-style reputation, especially by golf standards, dating even back to his college days, where some of his teammates then called him a cheater or said they didn't like him for this reason or that reason. He was in the Bahamas not long ago, and he was called for a two-stroke penalty, after an incident that had some of his fellow PGA Tour pros calling him a cheater. Like, to you or I, the naked eye, if you, if you saw the video, it might have been like, well, what exactly did Patrick Reed do? He was in a waste area, and there are rules on what you're allowed to touch or not touch. I don't know if this Brooks Kepka audio includes the phrase sandcastles, but he joked that if you're a pro, and of course you know the rules better than others, you also know the feel of things, the lay of the land. And these guys, by the way, when I play golf as a weekend warrior, I don't watch my fellow playing partners. Like, you could cheat bigly. You could cheat in little ways. 
You could mark your ball in a way that you remark it just a half inch to the left or right to avoid this or that. I don't know the difference, and frankly, I don't care. I'm not playing for money. Sometimes we're playing for like a trophy or whatever, but I don't know. I mean, golf is a a game of integrity and the honor system and all that. I don't have the energy to monitor anybody else's golf game as I'm barely keeping my own swing together myself. And if I accidentally break a rule or two, it is certainly not intentional. I probably know 90% of the major rules, but am I certain that I placed my ball back, you know, in microscopic detail after I marked it. No, again, I don't know. I don't care. And there are no victims here because I'm not playing for, in this case, Patrick Reed won a $1.8 million winner's check this weekend at the World Golf Championship. What you'll hear here from Brooks Kepka inspired me to ask golf fans, do you consider Patrick Reed a cheater or is that too strong a word? Because I know that there are a lot of PGA pros who think these things about each other. Not all, you know, most believe that most follow the rules, but they will all have secret lists of those that they claim they've seen cheat in ways large and small. Brooks Kepka just said out loud in a recent interview on Sirius XM what a whole lot of guys have said privately about Patrick Reed or even some of their other competitors. I mean, I don't, I don't know what he was doing playing, you know, building sand castles in the, in the sand, but you know, you know where your club is. I mean, I took three months off, and I can promise you I know if I touch sand. I guess the Astros are going through that right now. Jim Crane said it, you know, he got asked, is it cheating? And he said, no, we just you know, broke the rules. If you play the game, you understand the rules, you understand the integrity that goes on, and I've seen some big names be like, whoa, that's not right. That's the number two player in the world, Brooks Kepka, multi-time major champion. That is a fellow American, Brooks Kepka. He could be your partner on the Ryder Cup pairing. He could be your partner in the President's Cup or otherwise. Brooks Kepka called out Patrick Reed late last week, and recently retired CBS golf analyst Peter Costas did as well, saying that during his time covering the game, he saw Patrick Reed specifically do something similar to what he got caught doing in the Bahamas at least four or five times that Costas could remember. Is Patrick Reed a cheater, golf fans, or is that still too strong a word? Is the Astros analogy appropriate or not? Reed has been a controversial guy, especially by golf standards, for a long, long time. Occasionally, he says things that bother others in his sport, and it doesn't bother me most of the time in that context. Cheating does bother me. And the idea that the guys who would know best who's bending or breaking the rules are calling him out publicly, I think, says a lot. When Patrick Reed said, I think it was a year or two ago, maybe it was when he won the Masters, somebody asked him, do you consider yourself a top five golfer in the world? And he said, yes, I do. A lot of people in the golf world were upset by that. That part I don't understand. A, Patrick Reed I mean, by definition, is a top 10 golfer in the world. Like, if you just threw out all of your subjectivity and just went to something like the world golf rankings, like as we speak, Patrick Reed is number eight, right? So you're not crazy far from being a top five golfer just by the numbers. And I'm not even sure if being number eight factors in the event that he just won in Mexico. So maybe he even rises from number eight. I mean, Darren, you're enough of a golf fan Maybe you're like me. When I, when I think best golfers in the world right now, I think of two Americans, Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka. and I don't want to put them in order. I'm not up for that debate. The cheating debate is more interesting to me. 
I was surprised by the flack Patrick Reed got by simply answering a question, yeah, I think I am. I think I've earned top five status. He won the Masters. He's number eight in the official rankings. So we got Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka. It would have to be, I think, on anybody's fair top five list. I know they all ebb and flow, but Rory McIlroy still fits that description for me. The guy from Spain, John Rahm, is, is in the conversation. Dustin Johnson, another American, is in the conversation. Tiger Woods, maybe not right now, but has resumed belonging in that conversation. But after three or four... You know, are you certain that Patrick Reed is not next most deserving? I mean, seriously, he's number eight right now. The the other names in the top ten include Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, Webb Simpson. I mean, these are great golfers, but to say you're top five, to me, that seemed like an inappropriate amount of pushback for a guy who was just trying to verbalize his confidence and a guy who has backed up that confidence as Captain America in the Ryder Cup setting at times, and he just won his eighth PGA Tour event. That's more than the large majority of people currently on the PGA Tour, obviously. This stuff, though, he gets no wiggle room from me on. And if Brooks Kepka and others privately are calling him out for, for this kind of stuff, it sounds like Patrick Reed is golf's version or one of them of the Houston Astros mentality. I'm going to break the rules. I know what the rules are, and I know better than baseball fans know the rules. I'm going to break them anyway. I'm going to chase championships. I'm going to get a competitive advantage, and I'm going to hope I don't get caught. Patrick Reed, it'd be one thing if it was one guy calling out one incident. In this case, it sounds like a lot of guys dating back to his college days all the way through his American Ryder Cup teammates, including Brooks Kepka and, and uh, announcer Peter Costas, who both say that the cheater word is right in their eyes. 1-800-849-2761. Patrick Reed, a best of the weekend in one sense, a worst of the weekend in another. LeBron James and Jason Tatum had a showdown in the NBA this weekend. The LA Lakers and the Milwaukee Bucks were best of the weekend nominees for reasons I will elaborate on. More on the Canes and the NHL trade deadline and the David Ayers story and where the Canes go from here now that Mrazek and Reimer and Brett Pesci are hurt. And remember Dougie Hamilton, the all-star defenseman, is still out for a while as well. I will see you at PNC Arena tomorrow night as the Canes host the Dallas Stars. There will be some new faces in the lineup, including between the pipes, as David Ayers' emergency backup goaltender gets to sound the siren as the Canes host the Stars. 1-800-849-2761. What was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe and what made it that? Did you watch any of the Miracle on Ice festivities as that 40th anniversary came and went technically on Saturday? Lake Placid, New York, one of my favorite moments as an American sports fan. The college kids of Team USA over the lion-cheating Soviet Union way back in 1980 on their way, that semifinal game on the Americans' way to the gold medal. 1-800-849-2761. Your questions, your comments, your best and worst of the weekend are welcome next on The David Glenn Show. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four ties, <laughs> not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on The David Glenn Show. 
Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Mike Maniscalco of Fox Sports Carolinas and the Carolina Hurricanes live in less than 10 minutes. Jonathan and Kerry wants in on some hockey. It was the best of the weekend for many when David Ayers, emergency backup goaltender, 42-year-old Zamboni driver, was plugged in to play for the Canes. Bad news, James Reimer and Peter Morazic are both hurt. That's what necessitated David Ayers' appearance in a Canes uniform. He will be in town tomorrow. He will be our guest tomorrow. Jonathan and Carey is aware that today is also the NHL trade deadline. The Canes have sent four players, Eric Halla, Lucas Walmark, and two minor leaguers, to the Florida Panthers in exchange for 26-year-old centerman Vincent Trocek. He is described by many as good enough to be a team's second-line center. He has been a 30-goal scorer. Just two years ago, he did that for the Panthers. He is uh, capable of killing penalties, playing on the power play. He is in year four of a six-year, $28 million deal. So remember our recent guest, Tom Dundon, uh, often elaborates that he doesn't like rentals as much as he likes guys who are signed for a longer term at rates that the Canes think are fair rates. A rental can walk away at the end of the season for nothing in many cases, right? So this is Vincent Trocek is assumedly a part of this year's team and is signed for the next two years at, as well at a, a little bit less than $5 million a year. You don't get $5 million a year unless you have been an important player at the National Hockey League level again three-time 20 or more goal scorer, one-time 30-plus goal scorer. Jonathan and Kerry is next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hello, Dave. Hey, man. I, uh, I'm just listening to that trade. I'm a little bit upset because I thought Walmart was a good prospect and was coming on, and uh, to give up him plus three other players, I thought we needed defensemen. I thought they were going to try to get a like Zach Bogosian or something because our defense is uh, crippled now with Pesci being hurt. It is. It is. And hey, the, I, the they Canes have called placed... up any uh, Jake Bean or anyone from Charles. They've got to have to get a defenseman up there to help. So Just so everybody knows, the Canes have placed calls about goalies. Some thought they make a, might make a run at a Ryan Miller of the Ducks or a Robin Leonard of the Blackhawks. No, nothing to report there. They have called around about defensemen, but some of them have already been traded to other teams. Um, one thing to remember here is that the Canes, like most teams, factor in contract status, right? So I don't have all this in front of me, but I believe Halla and Walmart were both free agents at the end of this season. So you have a young defenseman, Chase Prisky, who's not yet ready to help the parent club, but desirable as a trade asset and may not have been able to bro break into the Canes defensive rotation. Uh, another young prospect that I don't know as much about, but if Halla and Walmart are at best third line players, sometimes fourth line, and they're free agents at the end of the year, and you can get a guy who's been a goal scorer at the 30 year, 30 goal level once, the 20 or more goal level three times, and he's only 26 years old, and he kills penalties and he plays on the power play, and he has two years to go after this year at a reasonable rate. I think those those are the things that go. Some might just look at this as four players for one and say, wow, that's given up a lot. You got a possible second line guy and didn't give up anything beyond the third line for him. 
Christian Leitner, thanks for joining us. It's been less than a week since the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. The final product of the movie was absolutely awesome. I love every second of it. Maybe I'm not seeing the same thing everyone else is seeing, but I thought the movie was awesome and I loved it. Keep it here on The David Glenn Show.